0: Coming up on today's Locked on Dimebacks podcast, talking all about the fallout from the Dalton Varsho trade. Was it worth it? What can Gabriel Moreno bring to the D-Backs? Are we sad to see Varsho go? Discussing all that on today's Locked on Dimebacks podcast with the one and only Lindsey Crosby of Locked On MLB Prospects. <laughs>
1: diamondbacks your daily arizona diamondbacks podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day all right let's talk about this dalton var for gabriel moreno trade i wanted some help wanted to break it down so this is a crossover between locked on MLB prospects obviously i'm your host lindsey crosby And Millard Thomas of Locked On Diamondbacks. You know, I've always been a big Diamondbacks fan. And uh, specifically, Dalton Varsho has been my guy. Uh, Had him in fantasy, won the league. I put those two things together and say that's why. But the entire trade breaks late last week. Uh, The Blue Jays get Dalton Varsho. That's it. Arizona gets catcher Gabriel Moreno, one of the top 10 prospects in baseball, one of the top two catching prospects in baseball. And outfielder Lords Goriel Jr. Uh, what was, you sent me a DM soon after it happened. What was your first reaction when you saw the trade announced?
0: Trade announced. I, I'm gonna be honest when I first saw the deal I wasn't entirely too happy because my whole belief this offseason was the D-backs were going to field offers they were going to ask for ridiculously high prices for their outfielders but I think at the end of the day I just thought they were going to play the market see what's out there ask for the world but ultimately do another season where we see what we have from these outfielders and try to do another year of internal progression but when I saw the deal come through the ticker the Jeff passing bomb I I was shook because Dalton Varsho has been a fan favorite in the D-backs community. This is someone that we've seen grown up through the minor league system. A catcher with 30-30 potential. Not too many of them out there. And then he makes it to the major league level. First couple years start a little <laughs> slow. But this past season, he really broke out in a big way. 27 home runs, 16 stolen bases. Arguably the best defensive outfielder in baseball. 26 years old. And when I saw him get traded to the Blue Jays, For a prospect, Gabriel Moreno, when I first saw that, I was like, I don't like the idea of trading a quality, established, ascending young outfielder for a roll of the dice, because that's why I need to talk to you, Lindsay. I didn't know much about Moreno, but a couple of days later, sitting a little bit longer with my emotions, calming down a little bit, I'm like, okay, this could be a win-win deal for everyone, because Varsha very good, still very young, but Moreno does seem to have the ceiling of maybe a really high-impact offensive catcher with all-star level ability, and we got back Lords Goriel back in the deal who's a quality, can-play-all-around super utility guy, a right-handed bat that the D-backs desperately needed. So initially, I hated the deal because I never liked trading a young ascending player that's established for a roll-of-the-dice prospect. Mm -hmm. But considering Moreno is like a blue-chip prospect, he's not like your Jeter Downs, your 60th best prospect, you know, in all of baseball. This is a blue-chip prospect with a high floor, high ceiling, and you get another quality starter in Goriel. This could potentially be a win-win trade for everyone.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of the reaction that I had, too. I was, I was surprised when I first heard this, the combination of names. And I expected, because we all knew the plan was the Diamondbacks are going to trade out an outfielder. Because you had a bunch of left-handed hitting outfielders who were arguably could all play center field. You have more outfielders behind them, and I'll get to them kind of in a minute. But it was something where like you had to do that, and you had to find a right-handed bat to put in the infield. That was kind of the story. Uh, and I, I'll, I'm guilty. I kind of forgot that the catcher is still part of the infield, and so I was expecting to trade for a third baseman. I was expecting, you know, something like that. And then this comes out of nowhere, and it just it blew my mind. But I, you, you touched on this uh, about Dalton Varsho being one of the best defensive catchers in baseball. I want to something I've seen on the internet recently on Twitter in the aftermath of the trade was people talking about. Dalton Varsho didn't catch a game after June, and using it mm-hmm. as some sort of indictment on his ability. So, defensively, at like as a catcher, eighty-two games in his major league career, thirty-one last year as a catcher, uh, nine eighty-eight fielding percentage, thirty percent caught stealing rate. So above average at catching base stealers. It's just he's such a good outfielder. That they don't like, they feel like it's a waste of his athletic ability to use him behind the plate. Uh, you mentioned one of the best de- defensive outfielders in baseball last last year, 99th percentile in outs above average, 97th percentile in outfield jump, which is, you know, the 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 reaction in the Reeds routes reactions we always talk about for outfielders, and a 91% success rate. When he went to get a ball, 91% of the time he was getting the ball which is one of the highest success Mm -hmm. rates in all of baseball. So depending on the the, the measurement, the best defensive outfielder in baseball, and he only played 114 games in the outfield. So like that's, that's what moved and that's what went to Toronto. But what you're getting back, I think this is a classic baseball trade, right? You trade it from a position of strength to another team from Mm -hmm. their position of strength. So Gabriel Moreno, 2016 IFA and I'd probably give his hit tool about a 70 grade. I mean, absolute stud. When you look at what he did last year, 62 games in the minors, uh, 25 games in the bigs. And I know small sample, but here me out here, 62 games in the minors, 315, 386, 420 in AAA. Three home runs, 19 extra base hits, 24 walks to 45 strikeouts. In the big leagues, 319. So his batting average goes up in the big league sample. On base of 356, slugging of 377. Uh one home run, two extra base hits, four walk, eight strikeouts. Uh I think the ultimate question as to does Gabriel Moreno only contend for All-Star games or does he contend for MVPs? Comes into where does the power come in? But he is a a, a elite hitter elite contact ability uh, and and that is something that that I think he could he could give you 15 20 home runs if you wanted it but it's so valuable to have a catcher who can bat over 300 at the major league level that, you know and has the athleticism to be a plus defender behind the plate with a plus arm and if you asked him to he can play second base or third base like there's a lot of usefulness lots of versatility here
0: yeah, that's really interesting because Varsho was like a pretty solid defensive catcher. That definitely wasn't his strength, but he was so good defensively in the mm-hmm. outfield. You mentioned all those numbers, even the counting numbers. If you just look at defensive run saves, stuff like that, like he spent half the time of a Mookie Betts in the right field, but. Had the same if not better numbers across the board defensively so you had to keep him out there for longer because what he could do for you in the outfield combined with the Corbin Carroll's and Alec Thomas's out there it was like a vacuum as the D-backs defense but like you said it was a position of strength because now the D-backs are going to put a little bit more pressure on the Jake McCarthy's of the world to prove that 2022 wasn't a fluke and that was repeatable you're going to put a little bit more pressure on Alec Thomas to hopefully progress because he wasn't exactly stellar at the plate Last year, So you're going to give him a little bit more rope to progress. Corbin Carroll is, of course, going to get all the rope in the world next year. So you're going to give your three young outfielders a little bit more rope, a little bit more leash next year. You're going to put Goriel maybe at your DH spot or playing in the outfield depending on the platoon guy. And then really for Carson Kelly now, it's like you're going to be the backup catcher for the D-backs. Moreno is going to be most likely the full-time starting catcher for the D-backs next season so now it's like Carson Kelly's that backup what do you do with him maybe you trade him for prospects or relievers down the line but this D-backs lineup now is probably a little bit more balanced probably a little bit deeper as well and for Moreno like what what's his like player comp right now because I was trying to look at catchers in baseball over the last 10 years of what his ceiling could be like is it like a JT Romuto who's like a pretty good offensive catcher but maybe has more pop than Moreno is like a Joe Maurer like getting too zesty because Joe Maurer is basically a hall of fame player but when you looked at his power numbers he only had like one season with like more than like 12 home runs Joe Maurer is mostly like slugging with doubles and getting on base and hitting a high average but he wasn't exactly like a power dude. So what? It's like Moreno's comp, what's his ceiling?
1: I think the real muto comparison is a very good one. Somebody who athletically in, in the short sample that he was up last year, you know, in, in those 25 games at the big league level, backing up those two great catchers for Toronto, uh, his sprint speed was right around 51st percentile. So he is above average speed as a catcher, and you know, and with the athleticism to play multiple positions. And I feel like, again, given the athleticism, given the skill, he can do something similar to Real Muto where he can catch, he can realistically catch five days a week. It's not something where you have to have a 1A and a 1B and those guys kind of take turns. He can be your starting catcher five of the six games a week, you know, one day off, unless for some reason you specifically want to work Carson Kelly in more. Uh, I do think you do have more of a power ceiling with Real Muto than you do with Moreno but at the same time Moreno is going to have the better batting average Uh, he's very good at at picking up spin he's very good at at hitting balls to the opposite field using the whole plate it's the the only thing you don't necessarily see is the fly balls and the ridiculous exit below and I think part of that is he has a very specific two-strike approach where he, he, he just, in essence, refuses to strike out. He's like, I would rather punch this ball into the gap and get a single than go for extra bases or a home run and strike out. And so, you know, but he also has the speed where he can steal bases, seven to eight in AAA Buffalo last year. So gives you just a lot of the ability to do, I mean, to do lots of different things, whether it's Kelly starting and him filling in at third base or first base, uh, obviously him DHing, you can DH Kelly a bit. And then Gurriel is the rope that you talked about for these young outfielders. Uh, you have uh, Corbin Carroll, we expect to be Rookie of the Year, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. Jake McCarthy looked good last year. We're looking to see if he can repeat that or not. But then, Lords Gurriel gives you, you have a one year of him. Uh, he gives you consistency and veteran experience. Uh, not a ton of power in that profile. Uh, His slugging peaked at like 541 in 2019. And last year it was right around 400, but another high batting average guy batted 291 last year and, and plenty of extra base hits. And so, and flexibility for first base as well. If for some reason, Christian Walker misses time. So I understand the trade and I do think Barino is, if you're going to lose a guy to the caliber of Dalton Varsho, a top 10 prospect in baseball who can be your catcher for the next six years without a doubt like no no questions that he can do it is a pretty good return
0: well it sounds like the d-backs are going to have the rookie of the year in 2023 and for fans the best place to place your bet for d-backs rookie of the year for 2023 where is it Lindsay? bet online betonline.net right. is
1: your number one source for it in info stats news and analysis you can get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there the nfl we just saw them play over christmas weekend uh, we have teams who are in the playoffs teams who are officially out of the playoffs college bowl season hot and heavy we're heading up to new year's this week and you get the 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 playoff games there um basketball, NBA, college basketball is hot right now. So if they've got everything at betonline.net. It's the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action because Online is where the game starts. Beautiful. Okay, so the question that I want to ask you, Millard, as the resident Diamondbacks guy, when I look at at this roster now and I look at the prospects who played in the outfield last year and everything that you did, uh, Lords Guriel feels like he's going to be your left fielder and or play some DH. Uh, you've got Corbin Carroll, you've got Jake McCarthy, you've got Alec Thomas, and then behind them you have some prospects who are getting closer to being ready Is there more moves to come? Is there there another outfielder that gets moved? Or do you think you stand pat with these three, knowing that you only have Guriel for a year?
0: Yeah, I would like to think the D-backs are standing pat with the outfielders. I know there's some in the D-backs Twitter community that thinks that there's another move coming. But I don't know. I mean, I didn't think this Varsha move was going to happen this offseason. I thought they were just going to make phone calls but ultimately just um, not pull any triggers. So I don't know. But I want to say my belief with the D-backs is they're not going to make any moves because I do think they want to see an outfield of McCarthy, Thomas, and Corbin Carroll for another season. Gurriel can play DH. The D-backs also did trade for the 20th. 2020 American League Rookie of the Year and Kyle Lewis all over the offseason as well so he's going to get some playing time at DH as well I don't expect him to play too much outfield but with Gurriel being able to play all over like I know he hasn't really played the infield since 2019 but he has had time at like shortstop and second base in the past as well so the Nick Ahmed and the Perdomos of the world they're not exactly like offensive superstars so if the D-backs ever want to do you know a couple games where there's a lefty on the mound maybe put Gurriel at shortstop and really increase the offensive ceiling for your production that day i think that'd be pretty interesting but i think the d-backs can stand pat with the outfielders that they have right now i think with the dh they have more than enough spots for everyone to get their opportunities but over the next couple years if drew jones is really that guy and maybe because i'll ask you when his eta is because once he starts getting ready and once he's getting ready to be called up that's when the d-back that's when the d-backs will have to make another decision on these outfielders because they've been so loaded at that position but it seems like corbin carroll Untouchable. He's the one guy that you don't have to worry about. Um, Drew Jones still a couple years away, so it will come down to a Jake McCarthy and Alec Thomas, or maybe any of these other young prospect outfielders that they have, like the Dominic Canzones and the Dominic Fletchers of the world. But I think oh, for Fletcher. at least
1: lots of Dominics,
0: yeah, a lot of Dominics. But I think for at least next season, I in in my perfect world, the D-backs are staying pat, and we're seeing what we get from Alec Thomas, a Jake McCarthy, and Corbin Carroll, and then deciding which one of those are real foundational pieces for the future.
1: Yeah. And when I, from a thing, you know, the thousand foot view here, when I look at this, it really feels like Lords Guriel was an insurance policy. Lords Guriel Mm -hmm. was a, you know, we, we, we traded for Kyle Lewis. We brought in Lords Guriel because there were times when we were counting on all of the kids at the same time. We were counting on Alec Thomas. We were counting on uh, Jake McCarthy. We were counting on Dalton Varsho, counting on Corbin Carroll. And if somebody slumps, if somebody's struggling You've got veteran options. You've got guys who have a track record with the exception of Kyle Lewis's injury riddled 2022, uh, have a track record of success that you can count on. And so the idea now is, you know, one year of Lord's Griel in a perfect world. You don't need him a ton because Thomas has stepped up offensively at the plate and can handle it. But you've got some different options. And then getting to some of those prospects, uh, the thing that I noticed about, um, Dominic Canzone is he's he spent time both at first base and at left field and so he's another guy in the similar vein of Lords Gorell played a bunch of first base played a fun, bunch of left field but can slot into that role if you choose not to re-sign Lords or could be somebody I do think there's a possibility if everybody's doing well you flip Lords Gorell at the deadline something where if if your young players are picking up if Kyle Lewis is back to hitting like he knew we could, he's not going to play a ton of the outfield. His knees are not that great, but it does feel like Lord's Scurriel the insurance policy. We want to play the kids if we can. We have him here. We can always move him at the deadline if we don't need him. If we don't need him.
0: Yeah, and also it's like keto Marte, over the last couple of years, like he's just kind of been dealing with injuries, and his production has always seemed better whenever he's just been like a full-time DH. So maybe that's something the D-backs explore more in the future with Gurriel because he does have some infield um capabilities, maybe do a little bit more Rojas. Duriel up the middle, give Marte a little bit more days off, let him play DH so he can rest that body. So I think Guriel is going to give the D backs a lot of options. But do you look at any of those young outfielders that are not the McCarthy's or the Thompson's that are already on the major league level, like the Canzones and the Fletchers? Do you see any of them as like realistic, like MLB pieces? Like, do you actually see those guys as potential options on like a real major league team starting making plays in the postseason? Or are those guys like quad A, utility guys, backup outfielders?
1: I do think that Fletcher, so Dominic Fletcher, uh, just to in case you're confused on your Dominics, everybody, uh, yeah. five nine, one eighty-five, He's the 2019 seconds round supplemental out of Arkansas, not the 2019 eighth rounder out of Ohio state. But no, um, you know, I do think Dominic Fletcher has the defensive ability where floor wise, he can be a contributor at the major league level. He can play right, left and center. Um, uh, speed is only i'd say average to a tick above average but he's got a good arm and again that defensive versatility really helps good good reads good routes good reactions his issue has always been one strike zone discipline and then two what's the power potential so like 101 games last year in triple a reno 301 368 452 five home runs but 42 extra base hits and then 42 walks to 88 strikeouts five of 11 on stolen bases. Like it's very much the definition of a guy that he's just a good baseball player. He's not amazingly overly athletic compared to a lot of the guys you see in MLB. So he's got a really high floor as a quality contact, you know, worst case fourth outfield type. So he's somebody that you could see possibly packaged in and moved, or you could see him retained as an option. If you do move Guriel. You've got Fletcher to come in. Um, you don't have the defensive replacement for anybody else that'd be on the roster if you move Guriel. But I do see Fletcher as a possible MLB piece. Uh, Canzone feels like it's very much dependent on the bat. Now, he hit last year, AAA, like 88 games, 284, 349, 489. Uh, 16 home runs and 35 extra base hits. It just feels like because the the speed is below average, because the arm is a little below average, And, you know, he's done first base and left field and that's it feels like he has to hit and he doesn't quite have the power profile to take the below average defense in left field. At the same time, playing next to Corbin Carroll can answer can solve a lot of defensive questions for you. So in this configuration, I think both of them would have a shot to be big league players. But if I'm picking one, I'm probably picking Fletcher over zone because of the high floor.
0: Okay, I'm probably going to be a wait and see on both of those guys because anyone that's not considered like a blue chip top prospect, I'm like, ah, we'll wait and see with those uh, prospects because when I look at this dalton Varsho deal, I think one reason why I was upset when I first initially saw it because it signaled to me that we're not trying to exactly win or compete for like a wild card spot this year or maybe even next year. The D-backs are really going to slow play this thing and let it marinate because I felt like With our current roster going to next season with the Dalton Varsho, we were like pretty close to being a fridge wildcard contender. But I think the trade signified that we're okay to maybe roll it back another year. We got a little bit younger because it's hard to trade a young player like Dalton Varsho for younger players and expect to get better in the near immediate future. So I think the D-backs are kind of taking a step back and saying, you know what, let's really make sure we build this thing slowly and like have all our ducks in a row and have like a a pretty young ascending player at every position around your lineup. And so now it's like they're going to have Moreno, who's 22. They got all these young outfielders. And now it's like this core is going to be so young because they currently have four of the top 20 prospects, according to like Baseball America or MLB.com with the Lawler, the Drew Jones, the Cord McCarroll. The Gabriel Moreno now so they got this really young core I think Varsho trading them means they're going to stay young they're going to build this thing slowly and they want all these guys to hit the major league level around the same time and just grow organically now that means Zach Allen, the Keton Martes might be in their early 30s by the time this team is ready to win but how far away do we think we're from the Drew Jones and the Jordan Lawlers making a real impact on this D-back squad
1: so Jordan Lawler, I think you'll see him sooner rather than later. And, mm-hmm. and kind of looking what he did uh, yeah. last year was a weird year, year. Low A, high A, double A uh, did, you know, didn't necessarily do amazingly when he got to double A Amarillo. But I mean, overall slash line for the year between those three levels, 300, 395, 508 with 16 home runs. Uh, didn't didn't have a huge strikeout issue, did strike out more than once a game. So you don't love that. But didn't wasn't striking out because he had no clue what was going on. It was stuff you can fix. Like that's what I'm always looking for: is he just did a did a guy just beat him, or does he have a bad approach? What's going on? And there was cases, especially when he got the double A Amarillo, he just got beat by a guy, and that's something you learn when you're exposed to that at a high level. Uh, I could see Jordan Lawler uh, competing for a job out of spring training in 2024. I do think there's an outside chance. You see them call him up later this year, assuming he stays healthy and assuming everything goes well, uh, a- acknowledging that would be very early. He will be 20 years old next season. Uh, but late 2023 or 2024 feels like a realistic time based on how well Jordan Lawler has performed in the minors to this point. I mean, low A Veselia last year with the rawhide 351, 447, 603. He killed it. Um, so, like he's obviously there. They obviously did the promotion schedule trying to find his true level, right? I think they're going to send him back to double A for next season. But again, I do think you could see yeah. him by the end of the year if everything goes right. And if not, you're looking at a 24 uh, out of spring training thing. Drew Jones, a little bit farther behind. Part of that issue is he did miss a. He did suffer that injury right after the draft, the same shoulder injury that every other first round pick you've ever had has had (laughs) weird thing there. Uh, But so for drew Jones, I'm looking a little bit later. I mean, given all the tools that he has and how good we think he's going to be, I wouldn't be surprised to see him blow through the minors, but I still think at the best case scenario, you're looking late 24 to early 2025 simply because I mean, he
0: is just now 18 years old. He's a baby. Yeah, these guys are so young and I'm kind of pro like I don't want to just rush them through the system, but, like, if they're crushing at low way or whatever, like, just promote them and see, like you said, where that true level is because one of my biggest issues with baseball is, like, you draft these guys in the first round. It's, like, why the MLB draft is, like, not that interesting because you draft these guys and then you don't see them for five or six years. Like, I want to see these top players that we draft as quickly as possible on the major league level. I hate talking about them. I hate fantasizing about them. I mean, you got the whole prospect show, but for me personally, it's, like, I want to see these guys on the major league level so i like it when you know you see the jose fernandez's or the andrew bantendi's when they're like in the minor league system for like a year and a half or less because they're so clearly gifted and good it's like let's get these guys to major league level because that's the best place where we could develop them see what they do against actual major league starting pitching if they can hold up at a young age that's only going to you know do better for them for the rest of their career so very curious to see how quickly we see the Drew Jones and Jordan Lawlers. Maybe Lawler at the end of next season like you're talking about, but it really depends how well he produces in AA. But I do think he'll be in AAA at the very least by the end of next season. Then maybe gets the Alec Thomas treatment, sits out the first month of 2024 before he gets called up and then spends the rest of 2024 with the D-back. So I don't think we're too far from Jordan Lawler. Still maybe a couple years away from Drew Jones. That's it for this edition of the Locked on Diamondbacks podcast. Thank you to everyone tuned into today's pod. Come back either tomorrow or Wednesday. Haven't decided when I'm dropping a podcast for part two just yet with Lindsey Crosby, where we discuss the rookies in the rotation and a little bit more from the Dalton Varsho trade and some of his his favorite things from the offseason. So be on the lookout for part two. Don't know if it's dropping Tuesday or Wednesday, but... One of those two days. Come back for more Diamondbacks News Coverage and Insight. Thank you for making Locked On Diamondbacks your first listen every day. Make your second listen of the day. The Locked On Sports Today podcast where you go behind the scenes and beyond the scoreboard with insights from locked on local experts available available wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, deuces.